This episode of EM Weekly has been archived. The ideas presented by the former host of EM Weekly may not reflect or represent the values of the Readiness Lab and the Doberman Emergency Management Group. Out of respect for the guests who contributed to this episode, it remains available online. EM Weekly starting right now. Stop the presses. EM Weekly has just secured you, the EM Weekly listener, a $100 discount off the Emergency Manager Leaders Conference this May 29th to the 30th in Phoenix, Arizona. And all you have to do is go to emlc.us and put in the discount code EMLC2019 EM Weekly. That's capital E, that's capital M, that's capital W as in weekly. And you will get your $100 off and we'll see you there in Phoenix at the EMLC. Now onto the show. EM Weekly starting right now, bringing emergency managers from around the world together to learn, share, and collaborate. If we're on, you know, Twitter, we're monitoring responsibly what's going on so that if we are going to an event, we are aware of the political climate that we're walking into. Hi, welcome to EM Weekly, your emergency manager podcast. And this is your host, Todd DeVoe speaking. This week, we're talking to James DeMeo, and he is the author of What's Your Plan? And basically, James, as a security specialist in emergency management, goes into the idea of building your threat assessment and how you would work out that issue when you are out in town, at the mall, at your church, at city gatherings, things like this. You know, realistically, in today's world, they are kind of hard to high target value, right? Aurora, Colorado, for instance, um, at the movie theater, or New York City, when the uh, guy drove the truck through uh, one of the festivals, things like that. The idea is taking a look at the threat assessment, and then it's teaching people to have a plan, and it's really taking a look at putting the culture of preparedness to work. You know, when I... Uh, go to the movies, we take a look at the exit plans, or the exits, and we make a plan and say, this is our primary exit, secondary exit, tertiary exit. And if we get split up, we say where we're going to meet. And it's not that we want something to happen, or that we think something's going to happen, we just want to be ready. You know, and I teach this to people as well when we're doing our community training for preparedness. It's not just being prepared for the earthquake, or the hurricane, or the tornado. We want to teach that culture preparedness, always being ready. Realistically, at the end of the day, it gives people better command and control of what's going on. Who knows? You know, we don't want it to happen, but what if they're at the next Boston bombing type thing? Anyway, I think that James's book is coming out in a timely manner, and I'm excited to have you guys listen to him talk about his book and how he came to it. Are you guys going to go to the EMLC, the Emergency Management Leaders Conference, uh, this May, the 29th and 30th in Phoenix, Arizona. We're going to be there with the Titan HST mobile studio. Uh, excited to have you guys uh, come by and stop and talk to uh, some of the presenters. And during our interview, you too can ask questions of the guests. So looking to see you guys there May 29th and 30th in Phoenix, Arizona. Now on to the interview. Well, I am super excited to have uh, James DeMeo here with me today, and and he's a fellow uh, emergency manager and an instructor as well, and he has his uh, 
his book. And we're going to talk about that. James, welcome to Ian Weekly. Absolute uh, honor to be here today with you. Thank you uh, for the conversation. So, James, how did you get into emergency management? Well, um, 28 years in the security industry, 21 of which I was with the Nassau County Police Department on Long Island, New York, and certainly starting out in patrol and, and community affairs and teaching in the police academy. That's really where my love for teaching started. Uh, I eventually was designated a detective, worked in juvenile, and then went over to missing persons. And after 21 years, I decided to venture into a second career, but again, to kind of continue my, my passion for public service and earned a master's at Adelphi University on Long Island and got into event security, uh, which I was specializing in, still continue to specialize in since 2011 and 12. And over the last year and a half, two years, I've been focusing primarily on family safety and preparedness, which again brings us to a conversation today about the book. Well, that's great. Um, and so you've been doing this for a while. Nassau County, for, for those of you who uh, uh, don't know, it's on Long Island, the first county. Well, actually, I guess the second county, if you count uh, Queens, right? It's the, uh, on Long right, Island. exactly. Uh-huh. And, uh, uh, so I grew up uh, a little bit on, on Long Island, over in Riverhead, Long Island, which is Suffolk County, which is way at the end. near. Uh-huh. The, so, uh, you know, we kind of chewed some of the, some of the same dirt there. So going through the process of, of writing the book, so obviously you felt there was a pain point there for, for people. What's the, the title of it, and how did you get uh, decide to write it? Well, great. Again, thank you for the opportunity uh, to share what's your plan. It's a step-by-step guide to keep your family safe during emergency situations. And I really never thought I would write a book, uh, quite honestly. But, you know, going back to 2017, we were in a mall in, uh, in Durham, North Carolina, up on the second floor. I was with my family. And then all of a sudden, uh, the lights went out in the mall and you looked around and everybody was, you know, kind of looking down at their smartphones and in complete darkness, you know, completely desensitized to the world around them. And my son, Aiden, who's 14 at the time, was 13, had said something to me, um, you know, which was rather profound. Little hairs in the back of my neck stood up. And from that moment forth, we decided to, certainly on the ride home from the mall, we decided to have our own family conversation on what we would do if we were faced with some type of an active shooter, bomb scare, some kind of a, a true emergency situation uh, geared for our family. How would we react? What plans would we take? You know, what steps would we take to kind of ensure our safety and preparedness? And that really was the impetus for me to sit down with my family. Again, it came from my own son. I've been in this industry over 28 years, but when it comes from your own family member, you really, you really feel that you, uh, you feel compelled to, to do something about it. And that really was my motivation to kind of form my team. I, I hired a book collaborator. My publisher's in Plano, Texas. Uh, we were able to get the, uh, the book jacket design from a gentleman, Mike, in New Jersey. So we have a very, very strong team. I hired a publicist uh, within the last six months based in Charlotte. So collectively, collectively, we've been able to kind of get the word out to prepare families you know, on knowing what to do. And, and people have already approached me and asked me about the possibility of writing another book. And I'm, I'm definitely interested in doing that because unfortunately, as we both know, there's so much more to report in the world that's happened, you know, since I wrote this book last November. So one of the things that FEMA is really looking at right now and um, straight along, it's one of his tenets, is the idea of the culture of preparedness. And then kind of top on top of that, it was the resilient community. 
how does your book play into uh, both of those uh, tenets for emergency management? Well, again, I think FEMA does a great job with educating all of us thought leaders uh, in terms of being prepared. But, you know, I feel that, you know, my book is, is not the answer. I'm smart enough to understand that it's not the answer. It's not the complete solution, but it's part of, the, part of a solution in an ever-evolving uh, threat environment. So when we talk about, you know, FBI stats last year, for instance, the first 10 to 15 minutes in an active shooter situation, you know, uh, most of the bad stuff is over before the good guys get there. So if we fast forward the clock to kind of what's going on today, uh, we're seeing that the, the active shooters are more intense. Uh, they seem to be more frequent. They're happening at a much more rapid rate. The time frame has kind of decreased. So I've got to back this up with a little research. But if I was to take an educated guess, maybe seven to nine minutes right now, where the bad stuff is over before the good guys get there. So my book kind of fits into uh, the scenario in that if we can get families to, uh, you know, create their own safety plan, whether they're at the mall, whether at church, a place of worship, you know, cert certainly a sporting event, but to kind of create a situational awareness mindset on what they're going to do before the good guys get there. Certainly run, hide, fight, see something, say something. Very, very important things that we need the public to buy into. But I think what's happening now is if the public are kind of tuned out to our message, then they don't really operate from a position of strength. It's more reactive as opposed to being more proactive in nature. So again, I feel that what's your plan kind of fits into the scenario of getting out in front of the challenges, educating and empowering our citizens on knowing what to do in times of crisis, getting over the fear factor, because you and I know that when the fear factor rears its ugly head, it's more reactionary. People don't have a plan. They don't have a, an awareness. Uh, it becomes very chaotic. Law enforcement is responding to the scene. And ultimately, uh, people are at somewhat of a disadvantage in terms of, you know, getting out in front of these challenges. No, you're so right. When I, when I talk to um, people regarding just action shooter in general, uh, just in just making decisions, we, we go into the concept of, uh, of uh, Boyd's uh, OODA loop, you know, and the difference between the trained professional and the regular person, I suppose, is that it's how fast can they get through that time when they freeze to the time when they act. I think going into a situation where you have a plan that that puts you into the ability to recognize and react quicker. You know, when my son and I go to the movies and, and we uh, take a look and we always say, okay, here's the action plan. If there's a fire or anything, there's these, the first exits there. That's where we're going to, if we get split up, you know, where the car's at, that's where we're going to meet. So we have that plan and we verbalize that every single time. And, you know, we know nothing's going to happen or we hope nothing's going to happen, but at least in that head, in, in my mind, we're, we're ahead of the game because we, uh, we, we verbalize that plan. Do you recommend that as well? Or is that something that I'm just doing a little crazy? No, no. I mean, you're right on point. And obviously as, as a security leader, emergency manager and a father, I always talk about that. I send my two kids out into the same world that the listeners and my readers send their children out to. So, you know, obviously when we're in the business, so to speak, our kids are a little bit more in tune, right. To the world around them, but certainly families that don't have our, you know, and, ex-military, retired law enforcement kind of background. Again, I think it's very, very important, you know, that, uh, you know, just if there was a CBS in Tulsa, it was a shooting between a clerk and a, and a patron. And so no matter where you are, you could be, you know, waiting on the line to pick up your prescription at the pharmacy and all of a sudden an active shooter or workplace violence scenario, you know, can unfold literally right in front of your eyes. So to me, it's any place, anywhere, anytime. It's to not create fear, but to empower 
as you've mentioned, you've already looked at the exit signs, you know how to get in, you know get a, how to get out. And we've seen too that the threat continuum evolves, obviously, right? Someone can pull the fire alarm, all of a sudden there's an active shooter, there's some kind of a fire, there could be two or three successive, um, you know, kind of situations that are unfolding, but you've already created, um, you know, your exit strategy before you've entered that space, um, you know, again, with your family, which I think is really, really important. Again, you know, we look at uh, Las Vegas, uh, people talk about motive. I have friends that are ex-FBI agents, smartest people you could imagine, but you and I know when people talk about motive, it's important to understand, but that usually means people are no longer with us. So uh, again, we want to understand that for court purposes, uh, you know, during the prosecution stage and all that. But ultimately, when we talk about motive, it's reactionaries after the fact, and usually people are no longer uh, here. They're victims, unfortunately. So we want to kind of change that mindset uh, to get out in front, to increase our chances of, of surviving. And again, I, I don't want to mislead anyone. Nothing's 100%, you know, guaranteed. But, you know, we're seeing now since last November, uh, you know, I'm sure you're the same kind of person. We feel like we're on the mountaintop pounding our chest. Is anyone listening to us? Um, but I think people are starting to understand the importance of, you know, preparing themselves. And that's what law enforcement needs. They need the public uh, to bring their A game uh, out, out while they're in public because, you know, we're seeing studies around the country, you know, applications for law enforcement are down 60%. Uh, the officers are under a lot of stress. Many of them want to retire. Uh, we're not getting people to go into public service or, you know, obviously the FBI. Um, so we're concerned about that. And we look at, uh, you know, just everything from schools to, uh, you know, densely populated areas uh, to open spaces, softer targets, malls, churches, you know, Pittsburgh, Las Vegas, you know, just look around the world in Europe where they're using vehicles as weapons. Mm -hmm. We get into, you know, controversial topics like the Second Amendment and gun control. And there's a multitude of issues, uh, political instability in Paris. We're certainly seeing challenges here in the United States with protesting. I live here in Raleigh over at the University of North Carolina, Silent Sam. There's different groups, Antifa. We have all these different variables. And here you are, you're out in public with your family. You're trying to take in a movie. There's things that unfold uh, right around you. Uh, and again, that's why I wrote this book. Uh, I plan on writing a second book, which is a follow-up, you know, dealing with some issues like hurricanes and natural disasters, uh, political unrest, um, you know, different things with the Bitcoin, um, you know, phishing, a scam that we saw last week where there was, you know, mass notifications for bomb scares. And again, that places a tremendous strain on law enforcement um, uh, utilizing resources. And we also, you know, as emergency managers, we wonder, is this part of a, a terrorist you know, plot for reconnaissance to see how law enforcement responds uh, to these types of scenarios. So again, here we are going into the, the height of the holiday season. Uh, we have to be mindful of, you know, obviously being out in public places. Uh, New Year's, obviously, terrorist organizations throughout the world have already told us, you know, that we need to be on guard. So especially when we're with our families, we need to get out in front. We need to empower. We need to share information, you know, lessons learned, best practices, help one another, See something, say something, but get the public to buy into the mantra of getting out in front during times of crisis. So how do we balance the idea of preparing people and not scaring people? Well, it is a balance. And, you know, in the whole education thing, the president feels that teachers you know, should be armed. I, I don't necessarily agree with him, respectfully. The teachers that I've spoken to um, feel that that's not what they've signed up for. We should have highly trained ex-military law enforcement working in those spaces. When you talk to the teachers um, about hardening targets in school, 
they want to create that balance between educating the children and not creating a police state. So it's a follow-up to your question, how do we find that balance, right? In, in sports and entertainment, it's all about the fan experience, but when you go to professional sports, especially mega events like the Super Bowl, it, it can potentially look like a war zone, right? We have the, the best equipment uh, you can imagine, um, but when we look at the mid-sized venues that don't have the resources uh, that the professional sports entities have, I'm concerned, um, they're potentially softer targets. We need to find that balance between you know, making the area safe uh, and again, not being overzealous and creating some type of a police environment or hardening the target that much. And, and again, we gotta look at the schools, we gotta look at whether or not the children are being traumatized by the false alarms uh, that we're seeing. Um, East Carolina University just last week did an active shooter drill. It cost them $40,000. Tremendous, tremendous amount of work, nine hour day uh, for everybody there, but certainly a very, very important step in getting out in front, you know, within higher education vertical in terms of uh, safeguarding that space. You know, you talk about national um, uh, arena and the uh, and, and for a large event like a Super Bowl or or whatever. Um, I had the opportunity to help out with the Stanley Cup a few years ago. That was in Orange County, and it was amazing the resources that everybody put into make that event one off without kind of uh, uh, issue. And you're right. I mean, as a small venue. Um, say like a small college, a tier one or tier two college, something like that, that doesn't have the resources to put into it. You know, that's one of the stresses that they have, you know, at the college where I work at, that we're getting the stadium and it's like going through that process of how do you balance the idea of security and, and not make it in the police state, like you said. You know, our, we talk about this. We said we can become the safest campus uh, in the world, but it's going to look like it's Men's Central Jail, you know. Um, that balance is really important to the, the freedom of movement and then the, uh, but also security at the same time. It is, it's, it's kind of hard for us in the profession. You know, we want to do our greatest job that we can do, but we also want to provide a fun experience for people and, or in, in schools, uh, a place where people feel comfortable learning. Um, and I think that's one of the challenges that we have. So moving forward from that, we, we, we have these issues with the protests in the streets and, Sometimes um, you know they're happening, sometimes you don't. And I, I noticed the tactics of Antifa specifically, and that they are uh, they're getting more aggressive, and they're they're actually almost like the uh, the lines on the Serengeti. They're they're looking for the weaker target, and they're trying to split people up, and they're they're actually chasing people into parking structures in Portland, um, and and holding them there. What's the next move for for us for an event like a an Antifa protest. Hey, let's just take about uh, 60 seconds here and listen to our sponsors. Seconds count during an emergency. That's why at Titan HST, we're always inventing new technology to help people stay safe and help people who can provide help get connected with people who need help. At Titan HST, we've deployed mesh networking, allowing emergency communication, even when networks are down, augmented reality, and real-time translation. We believe in the power of people to help each other stay safe and thrive. I know that choosing what conference to attend can be hard. There's so many of them out there, right? Well, I think that if you miss the EMLC, that's the Emergency Management Leaders Conference, you're going to uh, just kind of be a tad bummed out. 
This event is great because it's only two days. It's May 29th and the 30th. It's in one room. We have access to the speakers and to the special guests and it's second to none. You know, it, it's one of those things where you get to actually engage with people and it's small enough to where you can't really hide. So join me at the EMLC, the Emergency Management Leaders Conference in Phoenix, Arizona on May 29th and 30th. So for more details, go to emlc.us and register today. Hey, welcome back from listening to the sponsors really quick. Without them, we couldn't do what we're doing here. So please reach out to them. Tell them that Ian Weekly sent you. Now back to the interview. So moving forward from that, we we have these issues with the protests in the streets. And um, as you know, they're happening. Sometimes you don't. And I, I noticed the tactics of Antifa specifically and that they are uh, they're getting more aggressive and they're they're actually almost like the uh, the lines on the Serengeti they're they're looking for the weaker target and they're trying to split people up and they're they're actually chasing people into parking structures in Portland um, and and holding them there what's the next move for for us for an event like a an Antifa protest you know again i have to do um some more research uh, regarding Antifa, but certainly, you know, what you just shared is, is accurate and on point. And, and again, it comes back to the public buying into, you know, creating um, their own hypervigilance, right? You know, a situational awareness, um, you know, utilizing technology. And I think that's the key is utilizing, oh, it's the integration of technology along with responsible social media monitoring. So again, if we're a law enforcement agency, if we're a regular citizen, if we're on, you know, Twitter, we're, we're monitoring responsibly what's going on so that if we are going to an event, we are aware of the political climate that we're walking into. Um, for an example, let's say you're, you're in a symphony in uh, you know, Northern California, and you know, you know, uh, you're in Alameda or, you know, the San Francisco area, and you know that there's some political unrest of some group, um, you know, you need to really kind of educate yourself on what's going on around you um, as a, as a the head of your family and so before you go out to that event, because certainly law enforcement, uh, we hope is doing that obviously and, and sharing resources, but, you know, moving forward, we have a lot of these, uh, these groups here, you know, anti-government groups, or, you know, you have people protesting and they don't even know why they're protesting. You know, we had Black Lives Matter. We had occupied Wall Street a few years ago. Um, we have the radical radicalization of citizens via the internet, which is very, very concerning. So again, you know, we have to, uh, you know, share that information and not presume, um, you know, when something doesn't look like right, obviously that it's somebody else's responsibility. We need to share that information. If you're in a movie theater and somebody, you know, is looking like they're having a bad day, don't presume it's somebody else's responsibility. Let somebody in a position of already know that someone next to you is having a bad day. We have to be mindful of, you know, uh, people that are agitated, Mental health is a very uh, a big concern in our country right now. So we talk about verbal de-escalation, right, uh, in emergency management, treating people with dignity and respect, but also just not engaging, uh, road rage, all these things that go on. We want to operate from a position of strength by being obviously, you know, confident while in public places, smiling, squaring our shoulders, uh, looking up from our smartphones, because we know the studies show that's something crazy like six to 11 hours a day. Most people are looking at their smartphones, so they really uh, – desensitize the world around them. Uh, so we want to just kind of get out in front, educate ourselves, um, and just get the public to buy into the mantra of, you know, their own situational awareness. You know, going back to the situational awareness part of it, 
um, I was thinking a couple of years ago, maybe even just last year, they had those kids that were doing that whole uh, knockout game where they're looking for people that were paying attention and just uh, come up knocking them out, you know, and it's just simply like that. And, and for them, for the kids, it was just a, it was a game uh, for other people. They got really hurt. And uh, I think well, somebody died. Yeah. I mean, these things are, you know, out there on the internet and, you know, um, social media is a big part of our lives. I mean, so with it's Instagram, you know, Facebook, Twitter, you know, Snapchat, we have millennials, we have baby boomers, we have a lot of people accessing this information, young people in schools. Um, you know, it, it takes up a, a big part of our day. But I think if we utilize the technology, uh, not only proactively, but responsibly, you know, uh, again, severe weather conditions, paying attention to the weather, you know, understanding that there are a lot of good apps out there, emergency management apps. Um, we're here based in Raleigh. Uh, we just went through Hurricane Florence. Um, not too long ago, I think the governor did a very good job of getting us resources. But quite honestly, I didn't really know what to expect in this area. I've been through Sandy. I've been through Irene. I worked the aftermath of 9-11. Down here in Raleigh, I did not know what to expect uh, with Florence. So I think it's important to uh, get everybody in your neighborhood on the same page, you know, get your resources, you know, get your food and water and, and obviously canned goods. This is all part of being educated on knowing what to do. And again, I think moving forward, you know, we're going to see challenges will continue. Emergency managers will be busier than ever. Uh, more money now is going into the security industry than ever before. Um, but I think it's very, very important because you don't want to be known as that organization that skimp corners on security. Again, whether that's in a corporate environment, whether that's in a sports and entertainment uh, environment like the Brian Stowe case in 2011. Uh, where the Dodgers were cited uh, for inadequate security and they were sued for $21 million. You don't want to be known as that organization uh, on the pro level, um, obviously the high school level, the university level, because ultimately it will end up in the loss of life, litigation. Um, we're going to see what's going to happen post-Las Vegas in terms of duty of care and the Safety Act. And uh, yeah, obviously that situation was a third-party contract security uh, and whether or not you're shielded from that liability. So security leaders, we need to do our homework. We need to do our due diligence. We need to educate and keep our patrons safe. And we need to go back to, um, you know, the, the, um, the people that spend in the organization and try to get to the head of the table during operational discussions and enlighten these folks about the importance of investing financial resources in security, uh, technology, and educating and training the workforce to be safe uh, during, you know, their their uh, course of business. One of the things as an emergency manager that we really need to stress to our, our, our residents and to the, to the people that are coming to our cities is the idea of, of resiliency and preparedness. And I think like your book is one of those tools that you could use um, in, in that discussion. Um, going forward, how do you think an emergency manager, how do we, how do we encourage the the culture of preparedness and the resilient city uh, concept. You know, two valid points. Culture is very very important, uh, regardless of the vertical that you're entrusted to protect. So I think it starts with um, it's a bottom up top down approach. Uh, certainly, if you're in a corporate environment, uh, many of the security officers that work in corporate uh, environments are retired law enforcement, ex military. So I say if you're the, you know, the CEO of a corporate environment, 
um, you really should get the stakeholders to sit at the same table, your technology people, your physical security people, and obviously some of the team leaders uh, within you know, that space to form a safety plan, um, to share information. Um, if it's a potential workplace violence scenario, if you have an employee who's just been uh, terminated or about to be terminated, that information needs to be shared in a timely manner between human resources, the head of, uh, obviously, um, personnel, and your security officers that are working within that space. So, uh, unfortunately, people do lose their jobs. We don't know how they're going to react to it um, because we don't know, what con- obviously, what's going on. So, I think as emergency managers, it comes down to the stakeholders. Uh, I've presented you know, around the country about the book and about security. I've sat on panels. Um, you know, obviously post Parkland. Um, and I think it's important to get, first of all, we want to look at security from an holistic standpoint, from multiple angles and not have tunnel, tunnel vision. And we want to get the stakeholders to sit down at the table, share information, invest financial resources uh, and safeguarding uh, and adhering to the duty care responsibilities that we have uh, for keeping people safe, obviously, uh, within the workplaces. So, you know, our work continues. Uh, this collaboration, this conversation is very important. Uh, I value our connection. I look to obviously, uh, you know, be out there, be out in front um, with yourself, obviously, emergency managers, um, and just continue our education, share information, and do, you know, the best that we can on a daily basis uh, during these most difficult trying times. So if somebody was trying to get a hold of you, how would they find you? Thank you so much. Uh, James A. DeMeo, I'm the proud author of the best-selling What's Your Plan? Uh, we are on Amazon. We are book reads. Uh, my website is jamesademeo.com. It's J-A-M-E-S-A-D-E-M-E-O.com. Um, again, uh, here in the Raleigh area, we're on consignment with Quail Ridge. Uh, we're I'm originally from the North Shore of Long Island. We're at the Dolphin Bookstore on consignment, uh, which is in Port Washington. So my goal, again, is to do a podcast with you, work with emergency managers. I've been on television. Uh, you know, I hope to get on national television. But I am just one of many voices. And I'm smart enough to realize that uh, this message is bigger than James A. DeMeo. This is all of us working together uh, in a, in collectively to get the information out because, unfortunately, there's a lot of fear out there. And we know that as security leaders, we can't sell fear. But what we can do is encourage, enlighten, and get folks to you know, pay attention to the world around them and to do their part in ensuring their own uh, personal safety and preparedness. So, again, it's what's your plan. Uh, I'm in the process of you know, putting together a manuscript for my next book. But ultimately, I can't do this without you guys. And certainly the opportunity to talk with you this morning. I'm honored to have the conversation. And again, I thank you for all your support. Okay, so here's the toughest question of the day. And uh, we already know about your book, but what book, books, or publication do you recommend to somebody who's in emergency management, maybe interested in this uh, topic? That's a tough question because there's so much out there. There's so much out there and it's all good information. But I mean, obviously the resources you start with are FEMA, sign up for the courses, you know, as an emergency manager, um, you know, certainly, you know, anything to do with, uh, you know, again, it depends on what vertical uh, you're interested in. Again, I have specialized in event security. So, um, you know, there's a, I'm an international member of ASIS, ASIS, which I think is very, very important. They have the CPP which is a goal of mine as well uh, as far as their certification. But I think, you know, if you just get out on the internet, there's a lot of uh, open source information. Just be careful on how you vet it. Make sure that it's reliable. Um, Connect with, uh, obviously, your fusion centers, which I think is really important. But ultimately, you know, we're all in this together. 
Um, there's a lot of good information on LinkedIn and Twitter um, and Facebook for that matter. Um, but as, as an emergency manager, I think FEMA has some great courses. Um, and again, continuing education is very important. But uh, the challenges continue. And we're seeing now that, that obviously, you know, cyber is a concern. Uh, certainly physical security continues to be a concern. Uh, we're looking at drones. I think there was just uh, several drones, right? I think over in England that nearly shut down the airport. So we, we have to be concerned about errant drones. Um, so we have a lot of work to do. Uh, the world is very conflicted. Uh, things are moving rather quickly, but the threat continuum, continuum evolves. It's ever evolving. And ultimately for us to get out in front, we need to have education. Uh, I teach for Tulane. I'm a distance learning uh, adjunct instructor. So for me, I take great pride in teaching the future leaders uh, in event security and risk management. So that's kind of my role is continuing education and training. But ultimately, these collaborations, uh, you know, again, uh, getting emergency managers to share information, uh, best practices, lessons learned, uh, doing everything that we can uh, to make the world as safe as possible. Yeah, that drone attack thing was crazy. I was uh, I was reading about that. And every time they tried to get one, another one came down and, and it's just I wonder if that's probing or what was going on with that, but that was a, that was kind of an interesting, and it did shut down the airport. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. For a few hours. So again, yeah. And so you think about, you know, certainly, you know, the amount of resources that went into, you know, investigating and, you know, law enforcement, I mean, 21 years from me, everything was the real thing until proven otherwise. So right. every bomb threat, everything, every, everything is going to be considered a credible threat. And it's the one time that we let our guards down. That is in fact a real thing. And now all of a sudden we're playing the catch-up game and nobody wants to play the catch-up game in the world of security. You don't want to start backpedaling uh, because then you're not uh, operating from a position of strength. So we need to get out in front. We need to share information. Uh, and again, technology is a big part of it. We're seeing, you know, biometrics and iris scans and fast pass lanes. Uh, you know, with TSA, we're starting to see that now in sports and entertainment. Uh, as far as fast pass lanes, which I think are important because we know as security leaders, right, choke points and bottlenecks. Those densely populated areas, we want we want to move folks in and out of those spaces. Um, but we look at softer targets. Uh, you know, the holiday shopping season, malls, extremely vulnerable. Um, so we want to, because we don't scream, right? But we're seeing with, with churches and synagogues now that they're starting to harden those target, targets, obviously, post-Pittsburgh. But certainly getting everyone together, sharing information, getting out front, it places, in the, places us in the best position possible moving forward. What would you like to say directly to the emergency manager today? Uh, I commend you for all of your efforts. Uh, try not to get frustrated uh, because we're all in this together. Uh, I know that you knock on the door, you ask for resources, you do the best you can with the resources you have. But, you know, uh, at the end of the day, you want to be able to go home and know that you did everything possible uh, to adhere to your duty care responsibilities, protecting the verticals that you're entrusted to protect. So keep doing what you do. Um, I appreciate it. Uh, we, we all appreciate each other's leadership. And again, uh, we're all leaders. Uh, we care about you know, keeping our family safe, uh, you know, obviously people that uh, work within our spaces safe and, and just keep doing the best you can. Try not to get frustrated. Uh, do a lot of uh, self-learning because uh, I think that makes you extremely valuable for your organization so that you can go back and share case studies and examples uh, you know, with people that spend money uh, in your verticals and to enlighten them because a lot of them are just money people, right? They're CFOs, they're you know, CSOs, they're technology people, um, and that's what they're strong at. But what we're strong at is physical security, uh, training, being proactive, and then just sharing those case examples with them 
so that you can, you know, obviously, you know, back up uh, what you're saying with research and data in terms of statistics. So again, you know, know your FBI stats, you know, be able to educate them and show them what the, because they're always looking for the return on investment. They want to know exactly, if they're spending 40000 on an active shooter, they want to know exactly what they're getting for their money. So talk to them about, you know, resiliency and continuity and brand protection, uh, especially in higher education you know, endowments and, and obviously, you know, not being a tarnished university because you didn't plan properly or there was an active shooter and you weren't prepared. Regardless of the vertical, you know, educate them, make sure your facts are correct and share that information with them uh, in a timely manner to get out in front of the challenges. Well, James, thank you so much for being on the show this morning. And uh, when you get the other book written, uh, contact me or I'll be back on. Thank you for doing everything you do. I'm on Facebook, so James A. DeMail, I'd love to connect with you. Obviously, you know, we met in one of the Facebook groups, and I think there's a lot of good information out there. And I think ultimately, you know, our heart's in the right place. We're trying to do the right thing. We just get, we need to get the public to listen to us. And that's what, that's where our source of frustration comes in, because they don't think it's going to happen to them, or, you know, uh, it's the, the Harvest 91, you know, Jason Alvin's on the stage, and they think it's, you know, something with the speaker system. And in fact, it's really, you know, an active shooter situation. So we need to get these folks not to be desensitized, but to realize that, hey, in fact, maybe something is happening, but we've already trained, we've already been prepared, we're out front, we know what we're going to do, and we're going to get ahead of that challenge.